Welcome to Chatman and Robin. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bert. And we're doing really good with this whole podcast and thing, girl. What? What are you drinking? What are you drinking? Well, what am I I'm drinking? not telling you what I'm drinking because what I'm <laughs> what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a tea of my own making, really? actually. Do from tell. scratch. Something I really enjoy is foraging or um, wild gathering. And last summer I got some um, rose hips from a dog rose, um, kind of where we walk Trinity. There's dog a dog rose. A dog rose. What's a dog rose? It's a wild type of rose. Oh, cool! I like the name. Okay, I'm gonna use it in the story. Continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, they have these really beautiful little um, rose hips. They're kind of an orangey red, size of a small olive, I would say. But they're really high in vitamin C, and they're super, super good for you. I actually just bought a face oil that is rosehip oil. This is really good for you. Um, so I harvested a bunch of those and I think last autumn I harvested some red clover as well. So I'm doing a two to one, two parts rosehip, one part red clover. And I drink that hot with a little bit of lemon and a little bit of sweetness. Nice. Pretty damn good. I like it. Okay. I'm, uh, I am drinking a gin martini. It's like a, <laughs> I'm going to sound so fucking pretentious and snooty. Well, I mean, I, my introduction to drinking and specifically to gin was like really high end. I was drinking like Antica formula vermouths before I was drinking. I, I never really had that college phase where you're drinking like Smirnoff in the freezer. He oh. really didn't. Yeah. I went straight to I think my first gin drink was a Hendrix, a Hendrix Gimlet or a Hendrix Martini. I drank basically nothing but like Plymouth and Hendrix for my entire life until I left my first job. So what I'm actually drinking right now is a Gordon's. It's not your first job, but my first real long-term yeah. job. Um, I'm drinking a Gordon's gin martini with Martini and Rossi driver move. Yeah, but I feel like um, Gordon's is like a very classic. Like, yeah, it's you the can think of your grandparents being all classy. Well, it's the best-selling. It's the best-selling gin in the world. It's James Bond's gin. This episode's <laughs> a hot mess. We're doing really poorly so far. <laughs> and you just started drinking that. We'll get back into this. By the end of this, I'm going to be a. I'm, you know me when I just start drinking. You'll be like, yeah. right on. Once yeah. I start drinking liquor, I just steady right up. My hands <sighs> stop shaking. And <laughs> my, he doesn't have a problem, folks. He doesn't. Collect. He really doesn't. My parents believe I do. Um, I got a text the other day from, as I mentioned, Adam Lau. Bet you never thought your discussion on Victorian erotica would influence my understanding of Wagner's Liebesnacht. Uh, did you? And I said, uh, no, I did not anticipate that. So um, he, he went on. He said, you were talking about how differently we view sex in our Pornhub centric society. Mm -hmm. It made me think about Wagner spending a good 40 minutes building up sexual tension in one duet uh -uh. and how we as a culture don't have the patience for that anymore. Um, since that, right. We're like, get to the point. Right. Exactly. The, um, we we can't avoid really the topic of pornography on this on these episodes, which I think is fine. But if you go on Pornhub, there's certain videos, Pornhub videos that they produce that have bookmarks in the. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. You know, the little like timeline at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They have bookmarks that you hover over the little hash mark and it says blowjob 
doggy style oh. missionary or whatever the mm-hmm. position is and then come shot interesting so you can skip exactly to the part of sex that you want and there's no i'm gonna be totally honest anytime i'm looking at porn i always look for the shortest video that doesn't look like absolute garbage <laughs> and immediately <laughs> mute it um yeah. but but i hate oh porn is the worst really in like, a lot it's of ways just, yeah i agree with you not because i have a problem with it i just think um the way that it's produced and mm. i don't know just pretty much everything about it is it's not quality well i've no, been, i mean not that it's not no i know what you're saying i know what you're saying um there's the that uh that fake adjective that i use all or yeah that i use all the time porny porny i've described people that way too where i'm like um oh, there's yeah. a specific uh, usually women yeah that's true but what is what's a porny guy just a guy who you never see really his face ugly yeah yeah headless man number one a headless man would be porny <laughs> it's kind of it's above like, average oh body oh my god he was decapitated maybe by tattoos, a low flying maybe plane not usually has socks on for whatever fucking reason and a watch they never take their watches off either drives me fucking crazy (laughs) interesting diversion really quick um my mom used to work for a name let's let it be a nameless government agency Mm. um we basically did housing inspections um i would go and do housing inspections with her and there were a couple people who she didn't feel comfortable doing the inspections alone specifically so she would Mm -hmm. put them off until weekends so me and sam could go with her sam is my brother for those of you who don't know i was just gonna say so we went to this one guy's house (laughs) two Mm. really awkward things happened while we were there and we were like okay first thing we you have to inspect the basement especially if the basement is being used as a living quarters because you need to have like it was like two ways of egress i don't know what the rules were but mom was checking so you can like safely get in and out you need to have you need to have multiple ways to get out of the basement if there's a fire it needs to have windows you can't like live you can't have a a residence like a a sleeping quarters be in a windowless room we were down in the basement and we walked down like he knew the inspection was today did not do a goddamn thing. We opened the basement door and there's like a four poster bed with like strapped strappy style restraints mm. on the bed posts. Mm-hmm. There's a full a full fucking lighting setup. I'm talking oh he had a my. I'm talking he had a lighting he had a light rail. He had like a light rail with inkies hanging off of him like like theater lighting. Mm-hmm. He had two cameras set up. There was a full like costume closet. Oh my. It was fucked up, man. It was like, oh shit, this is literally a porn set. In a set. small town in the UP. Fairly small, yeah. Yeah, a real a mm. real, real methy type town. Methy. But anyway, so we were like... Porny and methy. It was a porny basement in a methy town. But we walked into this basement and we were like, oh shit, do we just all not say anything about the fact that this is clearly like a porn thing? Porn dungeon thing? I feel like I would go uh, one or two ways. I would like mention it and be like very like cavalier about it and maybe kind of shaming. All right, like, dig your porn hey, dungeon, man. Hey, what you doing down here, He's, buddy? Uh, he was... Yeah, the other thing was he was not um he was not that. He was like probably also dealing meth, <laughs> like that mm. kind of person. Yeah, I feel like none of the guys though in porn are really attractive. So. Well, that's why you never see their faces. Anyway, we go back upstairs and I'm supposed to check plugs. I have a plug checker to mm-hmm. check electrical outlets. So you check electrical outlets with this thing and it tells you whether a three-prong plug is grounded. I unplugged a power strip of his because you have to plug you have to check every plug. Mm-hmm. So I unplugged his power strip. He had a 
huge sound system, the biggest TV you've ever fucking seen. Mm-hmm. You know, like the type of stuff you find and in low-income housing assistance. often. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we unplug the uh, the power strip and I plug the tester in. It's good. It's fine. I plug the power strip back in and plugging it back in reset whatever like sleep mode he had his mm. system on. And the hardest of hardcore, like, butt-banging pornography, (laughs) like, super gonzo close-up ball-slapping porn (laughs) comes on screen with the loudest female, maybe in my mind it's just this, but the loudest female (laughs) performer you've ever seen. And his whole sound, I didn't hear anything for a second because it took his, it took his receiver a second to kick on with that, with its big ass, like, amps. All the amps had to warm up for a second. Was this on the TV? Yes. So the TV is playing, like, 70 inch television high def is playing like crazy porn and then there's no sound and I'm like staring at it like the gates of like hell maybe just, or heaven just opened I'm not sure which and then his amps all warmed up and kicked on all at the same time and it was the whole house it was just like ah, 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 and it was like ah. probably like shaking the windows oh, they're like my rattling god it was the like mo- it was the loudest most obnoxious where was your mom at that moment uh mom was in the kitchen and I'm like I start like hitting switches and trying to turn shit off I'm like pushing power <laughs> nothing is stopping it's just going <laughs> full blast like it's so loud you're like head you're, you're, my ears were ringing oh, like with screaming yeah. porn and the place where his couch is set up you're like what he does is he sits down in his couch oh jerks off like All with this just day. like te- like movie screen sized TV in front of him and just blares porn full blast at his face before he goes down to his porn dungeon with his Matthew friends. What do you do in that situation? You fucking bail. You just walk out of the room and pretend like nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> just like walked around and started it's checking. It's like a cool guys don't look at explosions, exactly. but it's a porn explosion. Right, exactly. You just walk, you just walk and put your shades on as a woman's getting <laughs> railed in the ass behind you and your mom has to come deal with it in a second. So I'm checking plugs in the hallway and mom comes around the corner. She's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's porn. It's porn in the living room. Don't I wouldn't just let him do it. <laughs> so we all like found we all found stuff to do. In the- your mom then just turned like beat red. No, I, I really? think this has happened to her before. Oh <laughs> so, god! So we all found stuff oh. to do in the furthest corner of the house, <laughs> and the guy eventually came in and like turned oh. everything off, and then we all pretended nothing happened. We, uh-huh. Oh my god! It was harrowing though. <laughs> it was like the type of porn mm. that everybody has seen, but no one will admit to searching for, like that type mm. of thing. I, I wrote back to uh, Adam. I said, I think a lot is lost in the loss of seduction and romance. The senses dull when there's no appeal made to the senses and we are reduced to simple beasts progressively over time. Our ability to revel in sound and touch, scent and nuance fades. Or maybe I'm just getting old. But um, but I mean, think about it. Like, when was the last time that... You seduced me? What time is it now? <laughs> Four hours ago. But, um... <laughs> No, but think about it. When was the last time that you thought about like scent as a sexual sense? Don't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) No, go ahead and answer. Like, I mean, think about it. Like Um, night before last. But I mean, like scent. Oftentimes, especially in like popular culture literature, I actually find myself very connected scent wise to sex. Like a certain um, men's cologne. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I just find certain colognes very arousing mm-hmm. i could probably dig into that but. what i was thinking about uh, when i was thinking about the senses and sex is touch obviously but 
in a lot of lucky (laughs) in a lot of times it's a really specific type of touch which is just like the touch of your genitals being smashed into other genitals so like (laughs) but you know like there is definitely like a sensuality to like the feel of a collarbone under fingertips or the feel of like someone's cheek on your shoulder like like different types of touch are sort of lost and there's no there's like always the moment where the guy like touches the girl's cheek and she's like oh but then immediately it's like we're in bed yeah but Mm -hmm. there's there's no long play anymore like you know i've said it before and i'll say it again i think we should make porn you and i I mean, not starring us, <laughs> but I think we would do well um, directing like porn directors, non-mainstream porn. Maybe like indie or underground type mm-hmm. porn. Yeah. Well, let's kick it to you, listeners. What do you think? Would you like to see some directed by Max and Bird pornography <laughs> featuring scent and touch in 4DX? <laughs> Our movie theaters uh, like spritz men's cologne on you yes. when he walks on screen. But um, I feel I find for me personally, like you said, scent is really strong for you. I think mm-hmm. sight is the the um the sense that i least that least affects me sexually even though that's what's we're mm, constantly mm-hmm. being appealed with it's like beautiful women splash all over everything and like look a slip of nipple or look at this yes, look at that yeah but when you actually get down to not just that like um that sort of like panting grabby like sex as advertising type mm-hmm. thing when you g- actually get into an intimate situation I find sight v- fairly unimportant the, like right the, usually you're so physically close after the initial like seduction or unless whatever yeah unless you're the, like re- <laughs> really into like the interior of someone's ear or like what a pillowcase mm, looks like inner ears or whatever you know like honestly i feel like if you could just if you can just kind of like s- shunt sight aside and stop trying so hard to like visually like to to meet all the requirements of like advertised sex and like pop culture sex which is all about super attractive people doing super attractive things to each other i would argue that i don't think most people in porn are super attractive i'm thinking of like television shows now because i gotcha do you want to get to this here uh this comic book yeah let's actually you know do our content God, I'll probably cut a shitload of that because none of it made any sense or was coherent. <laughs> Lost Girls Chapter 7 is called is titled The Twister, which if we haven't picked up on it yet, I believe I've alluded to who this character is. Oh, I'm sure we said oh right who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this where we are in the comic, it's the three women out to tea. And they're all basically over that we find out that over the course of the next three chapters, they're each going to take a chapter to tell their the story of their sexual awakening. This is immediately after what's her face caught Wendy um, after yeah. Wendy was um, sort of accidentally um, a voyeur. Uh, what's it called? What does she call it? She says surreptitious voyeurism or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, Wendy catches Dorothy and Alice mm-hmm. um, having sex by the pond. Yeah. And they drag her out and basically are chastising her until they find out that she only wanted to talk about how her story seems to be similar to theirs and that they all seem to have a common link. Um, so they go out to tea. And the first, before I even got into the story, I went back to reread these. I'm about halfway through the book because I'm just plowing through it. But <laughs> um, before I could even get into the story... I got lost in the color blue that Melinda oh, Gebby yeah. 
discovered, I wrote down, I have scarcely ever seen a sky so blue. It's the first panel is basically just clouds and a, and a kite with a koi on it. So we see like a ch- like some sort of like chubby goblin character hugging a koi on the sky. But the fucking sky, mm-hmm. it's you know how I've, I've you've always told me about because um, I'm not the artist in our relationship. You are the artiste, <laughs> and you've told me about you've tried to explain fine art to me and like modern art where I'm just like, what the fuck do you mean? It's a blue canvas. What are you talking about? Oh. This is stupid. <laughs> but you've explained to me that some people when they see these paintings will have like visceral reactions just to a shade mm-hmm. like the painter will work for like months to mix the paint and and find the the shade that's in their head and get it down on canvas and sometimes just getting that color right is the art itself you're talking about um i think it's ad reinhardt who does canvases that are all just a solid color okay um yeah 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 i it, ad reinhardt was the guy um that you uh, not mimicked, but like homage. Kind of channeled, yeah. Or when I told you to make shitty modern art for Marlon, I was like, make me some crappy modern art. And you're like, you mean Ad Reinhardt is what you mean. Right. And you like him, but you I knew but you knew like what I him. meant, which was yeah. like, just make me some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually finally got what you meant yeah. when I flipped this page open. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I sat at my desk upstairs and I just looked at the sky, this her color that she made the sky for like probably five minutes and I was just I was so blown away by it and then I was like I became conscious of what I was doing and I became ashamed because I've given you so much shit over the years I'm like Hmm. color's not art art is like comic books and stuff but no truly like this I think this just this color blue is a weird like artistic triumph I (laughs) fell in love with it um what yeah, you... I have um, commentary on the colors in yeah, this panel and also at the end of this chapter as one? well. Or, I'm um, sorry, the um, this page and the page at the end as well. They they kind of bookend this oh, chapter. They do kind of every chapter. Yeah. They bookend it with the story. They, they do a page at the beginning and a page at the end with the character's story in the middle. Yes. Have you noticed? I have a note about this later in my notes, but let's hit it now. Have you noticed that Alan Moore is being like very rigidly structured with his issues the page layout on every page of these stories is Mm -hmm. identical yep it's three panel blocks three panel blocks bam 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 they're wide panels that cover the page and there's three of them stacked on top in the next and then the second issue we'll cover there's a long panel on top that features silhouettes there's three panels in the middle that feature artwork and then there's three small boxes on the bottom that are captions yeah if you flip ahead Mm -hmm. it's all identical and then i flip back through the book and i flipped forward because i've been reading ahead Mm -hmm. and it's it's fairly strict his his use of symmetry and like a rigid form it's all done with intent yeah I, yeah, it's not laziness. It's certainly intent. No, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have a theory about it, but I want to hear yours. Did you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, I really. There's usually a full page spread at some point um, as well. In and you the know t- what? In the tales, yeah. That's what makes this full page spread so much more effective. Is because of the box structure. You've been getting the same thing over and over and over, and then when you turn the page and you get this full page spread, Blam, it, it breaks stops you out of you. that box. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's very arresting. We can talk about that more because I have notes about there are lots of things leading up to that full page spread, mm-hmm. but I didn't make the connection that the f- the format of the page itself 
was part of the magic. Mm-hmm. But um, hang was, on, can we um finish this little bit about the color? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I uh, put, put a pin in structure because I want. I have structure. a theory. I have a okay. theory about it. <clears throat> so um, this chapter and the following two are bookended by like the real world, and then we go back in time as they um, explain the events of their. Um, childhood coming of age moment to us um and i noticed this right off the bat how vivid everything Mm. is in this panel it's like in the the book ending panels yes it's like psychedelic almost kind of candy colored dream like it's and i think it's extremely almost hyper real yes yeah okay I think it's extremely apt that they are staying at a place called Himmel Garden. What does Himmel Garden mean again? We covered like the it Garden of Heaven or Heavenly Garden. Okay. Um, and I th- think that it's a really, really great choice to give us that super, super saturated, vivid artwork on both ends. Did you notice that it is a bit more muted at, in the the bookend, as though time has passed, maybe? At, at the end, yes, yeah. So in that, yeah, the, like, oh my god, every time you flip to that, mm-hmm. like my eyes go right it's to that It's the green blue. that gets me. That bright, almost chartreuse green. Of the grass. Oh my god, I love it. I know, it's mm-hmm. it's so lush and rich. Um, Really quick, let's do the structure. I just have structure, a brief yes. note, but I want to keep talking about color, because when you, f- when Dorothy tells her story, boy. Oh yes, I anywho, have so many Oh comments. boy, do we. Um, no, actually, let's stay with page uh, page one of chapter seven for a second. Okay. But I was wondering if part of why he's... I, I wasn't sure if this was like an homage to like illustrated editions of the stories because the in chapter eight... That's an idea. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, I mean, we're going to cover it in the episode so people will hear it eventually. But chapter eight covers Wendy's story, which mm-hmm. is basically a retelling of the first time that Wendy and the, the Durlings or the Darlings... We'll find out why that name changes in that issue when they first meet Peter. And I was wondering if that was maybe like the format of an illustrated edition because of the the like header, that top panel's almost mm. like a header on a page mm-hmm. maybe. I was wondering if it was that. I was wondering if it was like this strict format was a convention of like early 20th century erotica. But now I'm wondering if this is Moore's way of sort of like the visual or comic book equivalent of writing a fixed verse poem working working within strictures mm-hmm. and then occasionally violating the form or like as Hummel would say it letting it off the chain to accentuate a really truly badass moment in your poem like when you get to Dorothy's moment like of sexual- a very carefully written song with a crazy solo yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like a really, a really strict, like strict type thing, and then all of a sudden, bam, fuzz pedal out of nowhere. But what I'm thinking more of is like, like a sonnet. Not, not a sonnet. Everyone talks <clears throat> about a fucking sonnet. Like a rondo, right? And right where you expect a line or a sestina. Sestina is a super strict verse form where you use six words and then you rearrange them each time you write mm-hmm. a new stanza. Um where you're expecting a certain like you know you get it locked into like an iambic pentameter rhythm and then all of a sudden wendy has her sexual awakening and blam you get like one line of free verse and it just fucking it's such so jarring Mm -hmm. so what do you think like 
I don't think we'll. I don't think there's anything we've seen so far that really gives us a definitive pointer to why he's doing it. But I think. That, yeah, I think that's a good, um, like a good thought theory. on it. Yeah, to make when he changes up the pattern to make that more effective to, and more arresting, and to really draw your attention to mm-hmm. the moment. And um, I was just thinking about why perhaps these panels are shaped and laid out exactly the way they are. Um, mm. I was thinking, well, it could be like widescreen, like on a film, kind of alluding to the um, the Wizard of Oz film, mm. or it could be kind of alluding to the vastness and the flatness of Kansas. I was actually thinking something and similar. like the rectangular crops and I always think that's vistas. that's really interesting now the, for those of you who aren't familiar with comics and specifically aren't familiar with Alan Moore it might sound like Bird and I are like digging Just way too far into this no Alan Moore is of all of the comic book writers in the world if anyone is doing this sort of thing putting this much thought into it this is the guy um, he's notorious from his comic book series Watchmen for writing full page descriptions of single panels. There's apparently a panel description in one of the issues where we, uh, uh, it's from that Rorschach issue, the famous Rorschach issue where everything's mirrored. There's a one where he had the four, it's either four or six single space, single space typed pages describing a single panel. This guy really knows his his nuance and structures a very tight ship so this is all stuff that's legitimately possible and what's fun about this for me is that even if that's not what he's thinking if that's an interpretation that enriches our reading of it that's totally fine too i was actually when you mentioned the midwest i thought architecture because a lot of this story takes place in a house and this the houses that we see um i think it's it's all ranch style stuff that we see in um the Wizard of Oz film, right? It's not a two-story house that she drops on the Wicked Witch of the West. Or the... I honestly don't remember. I haven't she, seen it since Who does she drop the fucking house on? It's not the, the Wicked, Wicked Witch of the East? Oh, right, right, right. She, I mean, she might not be the Wicked Witch of the East. But she's, but she's some the witch. witch from the East because the Wicked Witch of the West is remember, her sister. Do you remember and, that theory that came out that Glinda the Good Witch was actually the Wicked Witch? And that uh, Dorothy had crushed the 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 good witch and glinda is now playing mm. playing uh dorothy to try and kill her other good competition and the right. other, and the wicked witch is only trying to defend herself from right. what she sees as like a, a basically a murderous um ally of the the actual wicked witch right. glinda i loved that theory if i can blew my mind um really quick let's jump back to panel three because there's a important thing here okay the creepy ass statue. Okay, the impish, the creepy impish statue yeah. is important. Um, page, uh, chapter seven, page one, panel three. That's the bottom panel. For those of you following along at home, and I think we have th- two or three listeners now that are are either buying or have bought this book. So awesome. Um, this impish character, this sort of, it's it's like a devil man character, kind of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Is separating. Wendy and Alice, but they are together, right? These, this, they form like a triptych. This is important. I can show you actually, if you want, I can flip ahead and show you another place where Alan Moore does this. No, it's okay. Where he puts Dorothy apart from these two women and puts a masculine figure of some sort with them. 
because that makes sense when you when you know all their, their stories, stories yeah. right? Because what we know is their uh, Alice and Wendy's sexual awakenings involve men specifically in a very dark way. Yes, in a in a in a somewhat pre- we'll we'll discuss that when we get to it, but in like a somewhat predatory way. Did you read you read Alice's somewhat? You read Alice's story. I did the whole chapter. Yeah. Okay, so like hers for me is like like starkly predatory. I think there's some weird gray that we can talk about when we get to Wendy that I think is really interesting. It's a very dark story, but I'm not sure that it's all necessarily um, malice driven or malicious. But we'll we'll get to it in just a bit. But anyway, Moore puts them together mm-hmm. and puts between them the unspoken thing between them is the devilish male figure. He's it's also a, taller than and larger than, kind of overshadowing and overbearing the two of them. Right, and sh- and Dorothy's off in dreamland, looking into the distance. Mm-hmm. We find out, obviously, in this chapter that her sexual awakening doesn't directly have to do with any men, although I think there's some very powerful metaphoric, um, phallic, phallocentric yeah. imagery that pops up. Anyway, um, when we get to the other one, I'll, I'll point it out again. Okay. But... Yeah. Uh, when I looked back through the issues, you can spot him doing it early. Interesting. Um, I didn't pay attention as I was going forward, but next week when I reread these more carefully, I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll see this again. But he's he's creating little v- visual relationships between them. I think that's I actually so cool. um, glossed over him the first time. The devil then, guy? Yeah. And then when I hit the end of the chapter and I saw his face again mm-hmm. um, in the corner of the top panel on page eight okay i was like who the fuck is that guy in the foreground i i flipped back and there weren't any men sitting on the patio as well and it i was is like is that a ghost what is going on and then i flipped back to the very beginning and i was like oh i think it's interesting that it almost looks like um the god pan it's almost like a traditional rendition mm. of the god, the god Pan. He's got the little horns. Mm-hmm. We can't. It's just a bust. So yeah, what, there are no legs or anything. But you know, like the, it's got like little impish ears. It's got the traditional sort of like g- the goatee, the mm-hmm. goat, that little goat beard there. That's why it's called the goatee. So I'm wondering if that's meant to be like an impish Pan Playful reference. Playful. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. So anyway, I really liked that. Um, Especially given that Dorothy's... Now, what did you take... Oh, by the way, the the kite. Starting with the kite in a story that's all about strong winds lifting you mm. up and flying mm-hmm. you away. To start with a kite mm-hmm. is such a genius little yes. bookend. And how many people would... How many people would catch that? How many people would just blaze through that? How many but, people would think to even put that in? I, that's what I'm saying as far as yeah. Alan Moore's like brilliance. I didn't notice it the first time I read it, but when you read these things with a critical eye, which again, which is why I love doing this podcast so much with you, because I never would have, I never would have fucking spotted that. Um, what are you looking for here? I was just looking um, for the uh, well, here's one. thing again. Who's this? This is Dorothy. This Dorothy, yeah. So we put Alice on the... Okay, so we're skipping way ahead really quick. Chapter 8, page 5. I'm Just to touch all the times that Alan Moore puts Alice and Wendy together. Top panel, Alice and Wendy are separated from Dorothy by a bush. Flip back uh, to the opening panel. And Dorothy is separated from them by a tree and a cupid, which is 
traditionally considered like a little male. Basically, it's a male angel, often portrayed as a male angel. Although little angels aren't supposed to have cherub. A sex. Yeah, cherub. But anyway, when we have Wendy and Alice together, separated from Dorothy by a tree and a cupid. So again, Alan Moore has put them, um, lumped them together away from Dorothy. And he does it again, actually, on the same page. I'm on chapter 8, page 1, panel 3. That's the middle panel. Dorothy's looking at the arbor. This is really interesting, actually. I didn't mm-hmm. notice this before um, until we until just now. She's marveling at the arbor, and she's like, oh, it's so pretty. And when you flip back to this one, she's look, um, chapter 7, page 1, she's looking off into the distance, like fondly remembering her sexual awakening. Both their heads are slightly inclined, chapter 7, page 1. And chapter 8, page 1, page one, panel 3, as she's looking at what's um, Alice, I think Alice says, like, it's called an arbor deer. When she's like, oh, look, it's a little place where people can sit. Their heads are bowed again. Mm-hmm. They have the weight of their sexual awakening, the stories of their sexual awakenings on them. Mm-hmm. Their demeanor through all these panels is much more somber. These are not just like quick little cartoons of people to go with text. Melinda Gebby is doing serious characterizing work here. It's really, really impressive when you when you get into it like that. Um, you have notes about the color. Go. I do. Okay, so when we <clears throat> flip the page in chapter seven to page two, we immediately have a very desaturated, very muted palette. <clears throat> Um, depicting Kansas and it's also a very limited palette I think in the first panel she probably uses two colors maybe one actually it's that sort of uh would would you call this like a sepia almost like a sepia toned look yeah yeah do you know why she did it to depict Kansas you seen the Wizard of Oz it's black and white in the beginning right but it had it also has that like dust bowl brown feel it's not like it's not like um it's a wonderful life black and white you know where it's just it's not an eraser head black and white um my memory of the wizard of oz is that the opening section is shot in like this very like muted not dirty but you know what i do you know what i mean like it's got that like muted kind of desaturated um dead lifeless look to it because when we get to oz that's the whole purpose right it's intentionally shot kind of crushed down and flattened looking it's really the beginning part is kind of visually boring because when you get to oz you know like boom color blossoms and actually we get that exact moment here in this issue we do at the end when blam like look at the colors there look how vivid that rainbow is in contrast to the to the colors so i think that this color choices here are is actually an homage to that choice of the film to portray it as flat dead lifeless muted Mm -hmm. kansas right and then we're not in kansas anymore at the end Mm -hmm. um so what i wanted to ask you is especially given some of these lines um i'm gonna read something from uh chapter seven page two this is panel two she basically sees a twister and runs inside. She should probably go in her grade. Uh, and she says, 
I mean, I was uh, I was near on turn sixteen, so I'd seen twisters afar, but they was just little ones, little ones a long ways off. I think, and I want to know what you. I want to hear what you think too. Do you think that the twister is a metaphor for a penis? It could be. Um, I was just thinking um, because she says, for me, it was that it's the way that she's the phrasing of. I'd like I'd seen well I was almost 16 so I'd seen little ones but never up close you know it's oh it's almost like this it's almost like the you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. well have you ever seen a penis well yeah of course I've seen a penis like I've seen pictures of ones and and I saw Billy's once at a party but he was just you know like it has that feel to it right so this the way that she describes this twister is almost like it has intent. Mm-hmm. It's headed. St- I think she says it's like headed straight for me or something like that. Uh, blacker than pitch, 150 miles high and coming right across the fields at me. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's almost like it is seeking her out. Um, I read I read it literally. I didn't read it. No, no, no. I, I agree. But I think what I'm saying is I think more than one thing is going on in the writing. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. because the twister also becomes later a metaphor for the, the sensations of her orgasm. Right. So I actually wanted to, I'm not, be not female, am I? Um, I wanted to run this by you because this is a fairly start to finish and vivid and ex- like very, um, colorful description of what, like, the female sexual experience is like Mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask um and i will i'll share too if it makes you uncomfortable but i was wondering do you remember your first orgasm oh my god no do you remember your you do do you have do you remember a moment of sexual awakening i mean this whole book is about moments Um, of sexual awakening so i I figure we should (coughs) i remember i'm sorry that's okay um I have a note about this as well, um, but I remember when I actually figured out how to masturbate and like how you actually do it and what feels good mm-hmm. um, because I had done it before. Um, I was a really late bloomer, so I think I was in late middle school, junior high. Um, and of course, everybody talks about stuff like that so you know like you get ideas from people talking about it mm-hmm. and you're like oh maybe i should try that or whatever and then finally figuring it out and being like oh people are dumb well she's <laughs> she has an interesting line which is um uh chapter seven page four top panel she says i mean of course i'd fooled around down there for but it wasn't never like this Making her a Southern Belle. It's I don't know what Kansas accent is. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, So my note is arriving in Oz. um, Could it be that she? Oh, sorry. Why is this moment so important? Um, I was wondering if maybe this is her having her first orgasm, Mm -hmm. and maybe she's like fooled around before, and it's felt really good before, but she never actually got off. I yeah go ahead so I was wondering if maybe that's why this is so different and is so powerful I distinctly remember 
being young. This is all stories of lost girls. It's all about girls. They don't really cover the there. Although in the distant future, we're going to get a bit of a sexual awakening for one of our male characters that we've been. I might have to. flipped through and seen it. By don't accident. skip ahead. <laughs> I didn't mean it, to. Lady. I was trying to find the chapter. Um, but I distinctly remember <laughs> being young, the kind of doing the same thing where it's like, you know, it, Sometimes when you'd roll over in bed, you'd be like, oh, why did that feel so good? Oh, good. But there was no, I never had a sense that there would be like a, there's a finish line or there's like a mm. goal or there's an, there's something that will happen. It's just like every once in a while, man, I'll tell you. I roll over in bed and it feels really you're good. You're just like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like sometimes you're soaping up or whatever, you know, but um, I, I remember, I know my exact moment of sexual awakening. Oh my. I know the exact moment. <laughs> do, do, would it horribly embarrass you if I told I you? I don't care. It's yours. Um, and there's a re- there's a reason that I love James Bond so much. Uh, uh, I was, I want to say I was young, n- n- somewhere between the ages of like eight and 10. Very, very oh. young. Yes, yeah, super wow. unusually young. <laughs> but I was watching. I um, my parents had rented me. A, they never let me watch the new James Bonds because they were too violent and stuff. Then the the Pierce Brosnan type Bonds that was just beyond the pale. But when I was young, um, when I was really little, they would rent me the Sean Connery Bonds, mm. and I distinctly remember. It's kind of a troubling memory now, nowadays, <laughs> thinking about how Bond is essentially, occasionally a rapist in those old movies. Um, it's it was Thunderball. I was laying up the there was no te- there was a television in the living room, but my parents and my brother were watching um, something on TV. There was a little TV, like one of those ten by ten or. 12 by 12 little television little box ones yeah that had a yeah. vcr built into it oh yeah, yeah i was watching thunderball in my parents room i know <laughs> i i know but i'm i'm gonna tr- i'll try and be honest about it because i think everyone has a story something like this or you not if not like this you know just you got to be honest about your stories so i was watching thunderball and there's that scene where bond is on the traction machine and that a hidden assassin guy comes in and turns. I don't think I've seen this one. And he turns the traction machine up to like a billion or whatever. Which it, <laughs> one billion. traction machines do not work at all like this anymore. But basically, it was like they put a belt around like his waist and around his like shoulders, and it was like like slightly like gently pulling him apart, like jump, 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 jump to like. They can't help. see your hands. <laughs> I know, but like that was like the pace. It basically pulls his legs in one direction and his upper body in the other to kind of and then relaxes tension and then pulls again and then relaxes tension. Right. Okay. The idea was to help lengthen your spine. I went right. through traction when I hurt my back a couple of years ago, and it's very gentle and it's constant pressure over a long period of time, very very gradually increasing. So totally not. Not, not at like all like anymore. this. Anyway, <laughs> this guy turns it up to 11. It's like, and it's going like full bore. And the nurse comes in or the spa attendant or whoever the fuck. Some lady comes in and she turns the device off. and She's like, Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond. And he gets up and he goes, I must be six inches taller. And you're like, oh, James Bond, you're so clever. Then there's a little scene where he's like. He kind of is basically like, hey, you left me alone. It's really troubling in, in retrospect, <laughs> but he's basically like, you left me alone. And if you don't fuck me right now, I'm going to tell your bosses that oh, I, almost, I almost died on your watch. And he kind of like 
seduces, coerces her into a shower. I think it's like a steam room shower. And there's a, there's a bit where like you see their clothes come off through frosted glass. So you don't really see anything. Mm. But like her hands on that wet glass surface and like her body moving behind it. I was like, I feel some weird feelings, you know? <laughs> I don't think you said it like that. And I knew, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the cusp of my, like, before, when I started watching this movie, I was like, oh boy, I'm going to watch some James Bond. When I walked out of that room, I'm like, hey dad, you want to go get some smokes? Like, I, I'm a totally different boy. But, um, yeah, like, I remember, because I, I knew, like, if you, if you know, you've touched it certain ways, it felt good. So uh-huh. I was like, I'm like, hey, I feel good. I'm going to make it feel better. And then I'm like, man, I feel really good. And then I scared the shit out of myself because <laughs> I, I remember you telling me that. It's really, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's weirdly cute, but also like kind of gross. It's anyway, kind of charming. I, I had a, my first orgasm at like age between eight and 10. I was really young, but I had, but I was too young to like produce any like fluids or anything. So it was just like twitching and wouldn't stop. And I fucking panicked because I thought I'd like broken my penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I remember. Oh, you're like, I'm dying. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's probably why like, you know, any sexual guilt that I have. Which I, because I just broadcast my first sexual experience <laughs> to as many people as want to listen to it is probably not much, but that's where it comes from. Is like the first time I had an orgasm, I was like, I broke my body. God is punishing me for touching my penis. No, James Bond is bad. You know, I rem- dude, I turned the t- I turned the movie off. I ran upstairs to my room and like hid under my blankets. <laughs> it was really bad, but um. You know, I oh turns out God. I wasn't broken and I had just discovered something new about myself, but really it did something fun. <laughs> it did change me, you know. Mm-hmm. It, I, you're a different person after you discover after the, let's call it the sexual discovery because that's I think what this all these stories are about. You don't really don't have a moment about that. No. Man, you were just like you were just knocking him out of the park so frequently that you were just no, no, <laughs> so casual and cavalier. No, I was feeling miserably, <laughs> and also having like massive, massive crushing guilt. Like, <laughs> oh god, crazy religious guilt. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, I think that's probably why I don't remember is because you blocked it out. Yeah. Yeah, I like I wouldn't fantasize or anything like it was purely like a mechanical thing. Jesus. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought I would go to hell. So I have some like. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have some like terrifying (laughs) visions of you now. (laughs) Yeah, literally just like staring at the ceiling with like a blank dead face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think with, that's like unusual for with your rubber gloves like, on. Ew. <laughs> uh, for um, it's in- it's kind of just in- children. Um, it's kind of interesting actually. <clears throat> we both kind of had a similar thing. Yours was much more extreme than mine, but mine was like, oh god, I broke it. I'm so bad. <laughs> Yours was like an omnipotent being is going to. Curse god me. is watching me right now, and I'm going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't stop. <laughs> hashtag can't stop won't stop (laughs) Um, true that (laughs) back to the comic um, Uh, Dorothy actually is a similar character do you remember 
um, chapter seven, page three, she talks about um, she has yeah, she, she, she has dying. Two, she has two really conflicting thoughts. She says. Um, all I could think was how it weren't fair. Me only 15, never been with a man or gone nowheres. And here I was dead because the, the, the tornado hits her house. Right. And then the next one, the next caption is caught myself holding my dress down. So as I didn't die unladylike and it all seemed so dumb. Mm-hmm. And that's when she, the next panel is when she reaches down. She says the danger and the wind and the, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of gets her hot, mm-hmm. and that's when she starts masturbating. And I think it's important that. It, oh, go ahead. It doesn't surprise me at all, knowing kind of how Alan Moore is interpreting this story, that she is kind of the thrill seeker, sex haver. In the previous chapters, you're like, oh, she enjoys danger, right? That gets her. I have hot. a. I have a note about the danger thing. Um, I wrote down. Sex is scary and exciting. I think in some yes. somewhere yeah. in here she has a line that says, "Oh yeah, there it is." Um, see, if I was dying, I could do what the heck I liked. Didn't have to think. No, I daren't, or no, I mustn't, or nothing. It was scary, but kind of exciting, just like the wind. And I wrote down, "Sex is scary and exciting, just like the wind is scary and exciting. Nature is scary and exciting. Sex is nature, and sex is natural." Right. So. I think it's yeah. That's impor- something that oh, Hummel used to bring up a lot in class discussions. Would when the topic of fear surrounding sex would come up. Austin Hummel, uh, former poetry professor of both yes. Bird and I, one of the biggest influences, in at least yes. my life, maybe yours as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I I think they're um, they're linked. Sex and I, what? Yeah, danger. Sex and fear. Mm. I don't think that you can. Um, take them apart really like i think intrinsically they go together yeah i agree i i think in a lot of ways i want to um we'll get i want to talk about fetishes for a bit here okay but i was thinking just in the same way that sex and fear are tied together i think sex and guilt are associated mm-hmm. and sex mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shame Mm-hmm. are associated like for example there are people in the war oh go ahead but i would say that those are societal things i would say that sex and fear are primal animal things i agree but i think that we also see characters not just dorothy um but we also see characters who are a bit more sophisticated in their sexual t- tastes mm-hmm. where in a way like for example i think what's his name rolf the fetishist from the first issue like we will come to find out that he a lot of the characters in here are very sexually experimental Mm -hmm. and are willing to try on a lot of different hats and get thrills out of different things and i want to point out the first time we're introduced to dorothy she is essentially like the uh what's the word object the art um Shit, there's a French term for what she is. But um, basically, she's like a sex object for Rolf, her oh, feet and her mm-hmm. shoes. Yeah. And she casts off that mask at the end of, of the story because mm-hmm. she's, in a way, sexually sophisticated and realizes that that's just a fantasy. But I want to point out, her feet are featured extremely heavily in this chapter. Um, panel, 
uh, page two, panel three, page three, panels one and two. Her feet. Well, we see her foot here too. Right, her feet are. I I wouldn't say that's a sexy foot though. Like sexy foot, sexy feet, sexy feet. Every single panel, like there, here, here, here. We're flipping pages now and just going through. And all you have to do is turn the page. Her feet are on display, especially chapter seven, page five, panel two, the middle panel, I think. And then look at that. I mean, come on. <laughs> like her, in none of the other stories are the characters so prevalently barefoot. And I think that there's mm-hmm. no way that that's accidental mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. incidental, given that our first introduction to her is Rolf's foot fetish. And also, you read Alice's? No, I'm sorry. You're not as far, but later on, Lady Fairchild or Alice will explicitly talk about Dorothy's feet. Oh, She, like, comes back to reference it. So her feet are an important part of Melinda Gebby's art, are an important part of Alan Moore's perception of this character. And what I wanted to ask you... Um, th- this is like our. It adds kind of also kind of an earthiness and a a sweetness, Innocence, yeah. yeah, to her character here. It sort of doubles up on the uh, or reinforces the innocence mm-hmm. in a way. Um, she has a line later where she says something like, um, "It's actually really sexy." Um, flip ahead <laughs> to where the where she's. She says that she's. Like wriggling her fingers down into herself like fingers into grass to hold on. So she wouldn't fly into the air. Wouldn't fly into the Um, air. And she talks about, I guess what I was holding. I think it's this one right here where she's talking about I was holding on to her. She's basically saying she was holding on to her childhood. uh, Yeah, right here. You want to read it? I wriggled my fingers deep down in me like I was digging them into the grass so as to keep me from falling up into the sky. But right after that, she talks about how she what she's actually holding on to is liking dolls and Mm, mm -hmm. being a child yeah because she realizes that i think she senses that if she the twister inside me was whirling so hard i just couldn't hold on right and i think she realizes that whatever's about to happen whether she dies in the tornado Mm -hmm. or whether something is building Mm -hmm. and when it breaks the innocent child like her will no longer exist. Her childhood will be over and she will be something new. Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to talk about this book as a whole, but as we progress, we'll be able to reference back to things. And I really like that about how we're doing this. But later, there's there's a story within a story about Dorian Gray, and he makes a very similar point where he basically says he, uh, he has a he's really hesitant to enter into a situation. He experiences a really intense situation. And at the end of the situation, there's a painting made of him at Mm -hmm. the beginning. It's the painting of Dorian Gray. And then he goes and has a really, really profound sexual experience. And when he leaves that, he realizes that that painting isn't him anymore. The painting Mm -hmm. isn't true Mm -hmm. because it captured him in a moment before the moment where he had changed irrevocably. That was Mm -hmm. no longer him. And I think that that's interesting. That portrait continues to age, but he's now ageless. It's like he's moved beyond what he was in a weird way. And I think that that's what Dorothy's experiencing here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I have a note that um, when she arrives in Oz here, page seven, uh um, she talks about how it looks different 
And that could be because sh- the twister has torn everything up, but it also could be because she is changed now. So she's seeing everything with new eyes. She's seeing it differently. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not so much that the country has changed, but that she has changed and is now perceiving. Right, it because anew. she's still in exactly the same place. I want to get your perce- I want to get your opinion on something. The the uh, the way that Oz is revealed is so clever. Oh yeah, the, I love it. The aunt, uh, her aunt has put up a no trespassing sign. Um. And the trespassing portion has been ripped off and thrown asunder. And the no, it's vertical. It's N on top, O underneath, T under that. Like it's vertically written. Mm-hmm. So when you take N-O with N on top and O underneath and turn it on its side, it becomes, it becomes Oz. Oz. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought of this as we were, as we were once we started recording. Mm-hmm. So the land of Oz is just no turned on its side. What do you do? You think there's anything there? Mm, you know, I thought briefly about that We're gonna, when I was reading through it, and I just I haven't unpacked it yet. We are gonna come back to that that idea of no turned askance mm-hmm. of no being there's a there's some really heavy stuff coming up involving. This this no this no turned on its side and what's on the other side mm-hmm. of that when no is blown away and you are swept away and be despite your objections what happens to you when you come out the other side and I think that that's an interesting discussion especially in 2018 but uh, there's some really there's some really heavy and interesting stuff coming up and I was wondering if this is the first hint of it. But anyway, um, I thought that was really interesting. Maybe. I liked the the rainbow after the storm, which yes. a, which yep. again I think is a. I think that the rainbow after the storm, in a weird way, you don't you don't get a rainbow if you don't have a storm. So shielding yourself away, locking yourself down, like this this. Now I'm just talking about like modern culture. I'm stepping out of the story for a second, but this whole idea of like this puritanical repressed culture, mm-hmm. the idea of like sex shaming or kink shaming or or just not not exploring and not reveling, just like mechanically experiencing sex. Mm-hmm. Like here's Pornhub, uh, here's my Kleenex. Okay, I got that out of the way. Or like mm-hmm. there's a line. I think in the next in the next chapter we're about to cover, you know, he kissed me, not the way that you'd kiss your husband and the way that when she says that, she means like a chaste, boring, non-sexual kiss. Right. In that world, there are no rainbows. Right. Because you've never had a storm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really beautiful. Um, actually, while we're on this page, chapter seven, page seven, I know we're jumping around a little bit this time, but um, I love this top panel. Mm-hmm. There's something, given like the lushness and the richness of all the other illustrations, there's something weirdly like subdued, something sort of beautifully subdued about this top panel. Well, it's the uh, the post-orgasm quietness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And But I think it's really well portrayed because it's not just, it. it she, her legs are splayed, she's sitting, she's kind of staring sort of like, 
like um, stunned, kind of mm-hmm. like kind of like tipsy, kind of shell shocked. Right, yeah. exactly. Her hair is a mess. Her blouse is open. Her legs are just like kicked off to the side. There's nothing overtly sexual about the scene at all. We've mm-hmm. just seen tons of sexualized imagery. We're gonna get two more on this page, but in this moment, it's literally just afterglow like look at how rich and heightened the art on page five is mm-hmm. and then that blazing twister that the the page six full page spread and then that calm after the storm this is just such a and this panel page six is so warm right visually and then the next panel is very cool well the, what i think is <laughs> to to pull this off to pull this top panel off is masterful. This could have been done a bunch of different. What do you disagree? No, I don't. Um, but in and in a weird way, there's now when I say like sexy, I don't mean like oh, and her boobs are out and she's all like trotting around and like being all. Uh. What I mean is being all. Uh, that's uh, not what I mean. Mm-hmm. She's not being all. Uh, bird. Okay. But in a weird way, this is one of the sexiest panels in this issue to me. Hmm. That sort of like post orgasmic glow where like a profound experience has been had mm-hmm. and you're like listening to the waves of that sexual experience washing like washing back out into your subconscious mind in your head that like quiet contented sexual bliss and seeing someone in that you never see this moment right in in anything outside of a relationship porn doesn't show you this movies don't show you this they because sh- the actors aren't having sex they do that like oh let's cuddle up now and talk more they never show the moment where you're just like just shut the fuck up for a second oh my God. <laughs> so like to see that represented at all is just it's stunning it's a stunningly beautiful panel it really is and that is a nice butt underneath it <laughs> um I, I wrote down about this hey issue. now, she's 16. Now, this <laughs> this is really interesting because we're going to... We're gonna we're about to get to a chapter. In about 10 minutes, we're going to get to a chapter which has some extremely controversial content. And I've read ahead, and we're not done. There's going to be a lot of extremely controversial content coming up. So when we talk about this, most, mostly Neil Gaiman is responsible for my understanding of this issue and the comic book Legal Defense Fund, which I've mm-hmm. donated to frequently in the past and, and follow their work. I'm subscribed to their newsletter. I love what they do. We have to remember that she's not 16. She's a drawing. R- right. I know. So, I know. I'm right. just yeah, yeah, being yeah. an ass. I know because there's there's definitely stuff up ahead, which if we were looking at like a if this was a photo book, we'd be in prison. Right. But this is these are drawings. So like there's definitely stuff up ahead that's troubling. For example, I think that this um, uh, chapter eight, panel five, middle, it's uh, one, two, three. It's panel three. Let's ignore the brothers at the foot of the bed for a second. I think that that this illustration, this drawing is gorgeous. I love the full page. Yeah, I think that one's gorgeous absolutely but it's not now it's important to remember that this is a book of erotica in Mm -hmm. a way and there are many many drawings in this chapter chapter eight that i find extremely erotic but when you're looking at the actual content all of those all of the drawings in there are representing really 
underage. They're underage all, they're girls. all minors. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, not just the girls. Peter and the brothers oh, that's are. That's true. So, like, everyone you're looking at becomes minors at a certain point when you get to chapter eight. And you kind of butt your head up against it. And I think that's why Ellen Moore chose to do it. <laughs> what what what's going through your head oh alan Moore just cracks me up it's why he's like what would fuck with people underage girls let's do that well it's, it's <laughs> well it's not just necessarily underage girls but it's just like stories of the sexual awakenings of children as told by perhaps one of the greatest minds of the 20th century like think about that or 21st century this book came out in post 2000 but uh you know like this book was banned like everywhere it came out repeatedly banned like banned in schools people were trying to like level criminal charges and then the cbldf and various other people had to step in and be like um you guys know peter pan's not real right uh (laughs) no children were actually harmed in the making right exactly it's like you know alice in wonderland was a story that was written a long time ago and uh that's a drawing (laughs) that was done with pencil Melinda Gebby, can you show us exhibit A? And she holds up a piece of paper and she's like, there's the person you guys are talking about. I drew it. So it's impossible to talk about this book without talking about the controversy. Let's say we'll get into it when we get to chapter eight. But I do have some stuff I want to just burn through for chapter seven, if it's cool with you. Um, I wanted to note again, I didn't want to leave it too quickly. Again, wriggled her fingers in like grass on the last page, uh, page seven, not the last page, the page before the last page, page seven. She holds her hand up near her face just for the scent of it. You're making a horrible face right yep. now. Nope. Grosses you right nope, out. Nope, nope. Um, we've been f- pretty frank in this episode, so I'll, I'll admit like I, there's something sexy about the lingering scent of a lover i think that's undeniable for a lot of people and i would just have to say that i don't like find the smell of my own pussy arousing <laughs> well i don't get it that's fine i mean maybe somebody else's pussy i haven't had a pussy that i was like oh that smells really good i just want to smell <laughs> this forever i mm-mm. well that's good that you haven't scared anyone away then um but I think like, I well, but you also have to remember it is storytelling and meant to be erotic storytelling and meant to be fantasy. Not all fantasies are necessarily sexy. Uh, exhibit A, Fifty Shades of Grey, removing a tampon <laughs> as foreplay. Oh, yeah. That, oh, that is in the book, motherfucker. Um, so as foreplay. As foreplay. Two sex. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to skip ahead really quick. Um, <clears throat> she holds her hand up <clears throat> to her face just for the scent of it. Um, Alan Moore, again. I hope he keeps doing it. He's done it in everything I've read so far. I'm about halfway through the book. Sensory experience, little cues that engage the whole body. And then I wrote this down. Quicken the pulse and enliven the senses rather than just stiffen the genitals and get some grunting going. (laughs) Get the grunting going. Yeah, like... I really appreciate Get her done. But like we've and we've talked about it before and we'll just keep saying it because the book doesn't change its particular genius, but like lighten up all the senses, pushing all the buttons. Yeah. Like, come on, that's so good. Um Can we talk about this panel? Because we haven't really touched on this and I Can we talk about all of the cues that lead up to it because we skipped over them? Sure. I did you notice that I read my last notes because we skipped so much? All right. The moment she starts touching herself, chapter seven, page three, unspooling thread. 
Mm-hmm. You, have you you noticed? I'm assuming you noticed all of the items yeah, that show up just, in the corners. I... Unspooling thread matches. Right, like, like the, obviously she's igniting a fire. Right, right? like <laughs> the unspooling thread. I thought was fairly obvious. Yeah, you know, unfurling, unspooling. There's dialogue on um, chapter seven, page four, where she says, um, "Spinning tight." The the feeling inside her is spinning tight like a hot twister. So we're seeing her, her tightly woven personality, her childhood. Come unfurled, come unspooled. The matches, she's lighting and igniting that fire within herself. Matches just waiting to be struck. It's the the interesting thing about the matches is there's potential there. There's not it's no fire yet, but we're heading in that direction. Mm-hmm. Ink. This is my favorite, by the way. Her ribbon right here. Uh chapter oh, is seven. Is this supposed to be ribbon? This is flowers, that's a ribbon. Oh. Chapter seven, okay. page four. The ribbon comes out of her hair and her hair starts flying loose. Mm-hmm. Just like the thread is unspooling. The things that are tightly wound, that are wound up, that are constricting, that are holding her in. Yeah, and by page five, panel three, her boobs fall out of her dress. But we're not even there yet. And again, this is important to remember, she's fifteen. So this is I don't know what Kansas's I don't know what that means. Age of consent is, but she's a minor. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just pointing out like all of these images are minors. But um chapter seven, page five, top panel, the ink bottle. The thing that's contained comes flooding out. We're there again. Like all of these these are all visual cues about the what we're about to see, which is the loosing of the flood, the igniting of the spark, the Whatever you want to call it. The explosion. She's about to calm her brains out. But I really love this panel because of its visual composition. It's the first panel where Dorothy's hair is free. And just like with the blue at the beginning of this issue, the way that her hair is flowing in the breeze, Mm -hmm. flowing in the, not the breeze, the fucking tornado of force winds, but the way that her hair is flowing upward, this, her hair is gorgeous. You could, you could spend minutes just, just appreciating her hair. Then when you take in the bottle where the ink is all, by the way, all of the ink looks like sperm. I'd like to point that out. Uh Um, anyway, but the blue, this blue ink, red and blue her blue the blue ink is like spinning the other direction so when you look at the panel as a it's whole it's spinning the same direction as her hair right it's all going so in a right circle. so her, but, well her yeah. hair is going up and it's going down because the panel is a limited perspective but it's all flowing counterclockwise in the wind so you mean clockwise clockwise yeah it's all flowing counterclockwise so sh- her you just did it again it's flowing clockwise is it flowing okay yes. it's flowing clockwise clockwise whatever who cares <laughs> so it's all floating mm. clockwise thank you and her hand on her vagina is the epicenter of the twister come on you're telling like look at the composition yes, good job good job oh, it's congratulations <laughs> me or melinda gebby i both um I would like. I was wondering about this. She talks about a feeling in her belly, like a bird trapped in a cage, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And you read ahead. That. Alice does yeah, the same thing. thing when she tells her story. She describes um, her father's friend's fingers as birds in like a hot 
pool of salt or something like that. Some really weird, interesting description, but we'll get to that next week when we cover that issue. But um, I thought that that was really interesting that they both referred to the feeling of, of an impending orgasm as birds trapped inside you. Did, um, I can't did find, you make I can't anything find that? panel? That's fine. Um, I actually wrote it down. Pa- uh, seven panel. F- uh, so it's panel one of page four. She writes, I had this kind of flutter and low in my belly. Like I swallowed a bird that was after getting out. Um, and Alice does it later. Do you think there's any connection there or do you think it's just revisiting a similar sexual experiences or is this something that girls feel that dudes just don't, which is like, Oh look, there's birds Bird fluttering. No, no, Uh, no, it could be, um, kind of a play on birds and women being compared a lot. Birds and women, birds and women. And birds, yeah. Caged birds I see. are, you know. Okay. Um, I had a, I basically, the, I, I had more notes, but mostly it's just how fucking gorgeous the art in this <laughs> chapter is. Yeah. Chapter seven, page five, bottom panel. That's one of, the, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I love, the texture of her skin. Go yes. Ahead. Yeah. What's, um, what is that technique? Do you know? i I don't know. What you, do you mean? You're an artist. It's like colored pencil. Is it colored pencil? Yeah. It's how, why does it look so good? Bert? Because she's awesome. Okay. Um, I love, especially in this panel, the like glisten on her lower lip. That just that little hint of shine mm. and the way the light is on her like brows and around her eyes and like the distinct lashes on her eyes. Like yeah. it just her, she looks radiant. Yeah, that's true. It, and it, this is the moment before the full page spread, right? Um, I so. So. Yes, it is. Go ahead and. I love this panel. Too. Hit it. I love it. I love it so much. Go. Talk about it. I don't Talk have it. I have no panel? notes on the full page spread other than it's absurdly erotic. It's it's like, it's insanely I just have sensual. notes on some things that keep showing up over and over in um, some of these panels um, that the circles, the concentric circles, this rainbow here, which is like acting like a halo. They're around her head as well. Like they're starting from her head and going down. We see um, some halos later yeah, on I'd, too. Is it, is it supposed to be a halo? And if so, why a halo? Well, is it like, um, kind of like a, a baptism by tornado? Interesting. Or like a rite of passage and you've achieved something. Maybe you've it's come in contact with God. Maybe I not don't. God, but like well, um, like maybe a moment of like divinity or something like mm-hmm. that. Like you are like uh like approaching the spiritual plane or like approaching like a religion like a she's having like like your first your sexual awakening is a religious experience or something like that do you know the origin of we i think you may have listened to the same show as i did but the origin of the uh portrayal of the halo around the heads of people do you know what it was how it was original what it originally was um didn't somebody um speculate that it's like the cap of a mushroom it's the cap of a mushroom for a, the to um 
to show people who are utilizing a psychedelic experience to come into contact with God. And one of the big tenets of most magical traditions, particularly Western magic, is to achieve higher states of consciousness through sex. Yeah, so true. And Alan Moore is a practicing chaos magician. So the bada bing bada boom <laughs> so there's a possibility that he's showing basically he's using his version of the the mushroom to show these people are in an altered state of consciousness or they've achieved an enlightenment yeah, yeah yeah like they've they've their their consciousness has shifted and they're mm-hmm. on some different plane now I think. Gotcha. so that's that's something um i can get right. down with that so we are going to move on uh chapter eight come away come away <laughs> Would it be dumb hmm. to do like a trigger warning or something at the beginning of this Ooh, chapter? It might be a good idea. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. What, I don't know how these work. So if we're going to do it, you're going to have to do it. I don't, um, I don't like them really. But trigger warning be forewarned that um, this chapter does discuss uh, assault and I would say incest, r- rape. Yeah. And incest. Um. So. So this what did you make of this chapter on the whole? Oh, I didn't like this chapter. Um, it's it was very uncomfortable. It truly is a left turn. It, an abrupt one. Yeah, at that. Because we've seen, again, we've seen lots of, there's a lot of talk of like frivolity. And in this podcast so far, we've talked a lot about like awake, like the senses and sensual pleasure and just these like the richness of experience. And suddenly we have a troubling and extremely challenging story mm-hmm. that happens uh, it's it's wendy from peter pan it's basically the peter pan origin story but um you're you're suddenly thrust into this like you're you're because it's the the auspices of this book are erotica it's erotica and really clever Alan Moore-esque retellings of children's fairy tales. But suddenly, this the Peter Pan, the way that the Peter Pan story is told is... Go ahead. Um, you have a thought. I do. I think that it's done this way because you need to be disturbed by it. I mean, I mean you should be disturbed by it. You definitely mm-hmm. should. Um but I don't think he's doing it just to be shocking. No, I agree. I think that it's an impart it's an important part of this character and explains a lot about why she is the way she is. As repressed as she is. Yes. I talked about oh, in our last episode. Super. Um I now you are you are also reading ahead it sounds like but just one chapter i talked about in our last episode how i had insider information that wendy had good reason to feel guilt Mm -hmm. associated with sex you remember when she's in the bathtub and she's when she burns herself and i was saying she feels she's repressed her sexuality she feels tons and tons and loads of guilt Mm -hmm. i think part of that is her shit husband but I think in, such a fucking dick. But I think in a lot of ways we're seeing that her sexual awakening is associated with one of the strongest taboos in Western civilization, which is that for me, it's it's not even so much about the assault. I want to get into the captions where she mm-hmm. seems to imply that it, it's not sexual assault, but the incest component mm-hmm. of this issue yes. is really I I. I'm usually pretty it's in the forefront. Yeah, certainly there's, they don't hide it at all Mm-mm. at all. 
they, they they just address it head on they keep it it's constant mm-hmm. from the moment it starts it's pretty much omnipresent for the rest of the issue they're short issues they're only eight pages right but still you get like six pages of incest and bro it's, on bro dick action yeah and it's really i mean i lost for words but i'm uh, i'm usually pretty good at figuring out like motivations i mm-hmm. took a lot of literary analysis courses and it's one of my favorite hobbies is literary analysis i am i have trouble unpacking what this is going for or what this is about me too so i'm glad that we're going to talk about it okay um so what did you think of the the artistic shift first of all oh my god the art style changes i love it i love it too okay and i think that it is um both her hiding this memory from herself by reverting so many ways okay yeah, um, we can talk about the different ways that she is hiding this from herself. Or Let's like talk about it from an art perspective it. first. Um, I would say that I believe that this is done in either like a children's storybook style mm-hmm. or coloring book style. Okay, um, I was thinking ve- like the very flat colors, I'm the very golden age comic books. Mm-hmm. Like this to me looks very like early Superman. N- not like. Not that that's what they're going for, but that's mm-hmm. my frame of reference. The simplicity of it is like pulp, like mm-hmm. pulp comic books. Um, and the heavy shadow <clears throat> that's the sh- happening and the silhouettes. The top panel. As shadows as well. The top panel of each page is a shadow. And mm-hmm. given we have to remember that this is the Peter Pan story and what role shadows play in mm-hmm. Peter Pan. Yeah. And also so far in our unpacking of this book mostly my pet theory about the shadows and what they mean mm-hmm. from the remember the the shadow show with Wendy and her husband right. um so I, I think that the fact that we're 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 showing shadows again I wanted speaking of the silhouette mm-hmm. I wanted to get your opinion why the inclusion of the chamber pot under the bed um probably just part of verisimilitude the, what verisimilitude stage setting like to to accurately represent it or what yeah. what I was wondering do you think that it might have to do with like the the dirty thing the filthy thing that you Hiding shove under the, the bed maybe because I was a lot of, like this is not this one this is gorgeous mm-hmm. I hate to say it because like the content is a little strange but like look at that chair mm-hmm. the renditions of these silhouettes the art Really quick, because we're, we got to dig into it, and I just want to caveat it at the beginning yeah. so I don't have to keep doing this weird thing where I say I like something and then disclaimer they it. fucking know. No, it's not that. It's not that. It's um, it's like I, I find the art to be stunningly beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I even find it's bizarre, but I know it's bizarre, but I even find some of the panels, some of the art to be erotic in mm-hmm. a way yeah it, it, like in a, a sort of like raw like primal sexual way some mm-hmm. of these panels are erotic that said the content is troubling oftentimes so when i talk about art that i like just take it as read that yes the stuff that's in the panel the actual content is probably troubling and complicated and taboo in in western society but this chair, dude, this chair fa- on uh, <laughs> chapter eight, page five, the silhouette of the chair on the top panel fascinated me for I, minutes. Go ahead. 
I'm sorry. I just had another thought about maybe why this is set up the way it is. Okay. Um, with the heavy black border between all of the panels. Uh-huh. Um, I think this is another symbol for her closing off parts of herself and being very boxed in and very like there's this a, is there's the a very space thick for this outer right border now. as well. Mm-hmm. So the entire story has a it's called a gutter in mm-hmm. comics, um, the border between panels and on the outside of a page, if there is one. Um, this this particular story has a th- unusually thick gutter all the way around. Yeah. So the story is within walls Mm -hmm. cannot escape i think that you have a good point there it's almost like jail bars yes Mm -hmm. um but i think you have a really good point with the 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 captions um the story runs along the bottom of the page i think it's important that her words are separate are boxed off Mm -hmm. from her memories Mm -hmm. she's not letting herself relive this she's merely relaying the it's information like she's just dictating it yeah, yeah. she's mm-hmm. not letting herself refeel it she, mm-hmm. although she does feel very she feels a lot of shame and guilt at the end mm-hmm. um but the story is separate the story she's telling is story separate from the story that is that we're seeing right so that that level of repression and separation is really interesting did you have any thoughts about these um wrought iron posts on page two um, I didn't. I noticed that on page two, he's pushing his hand into one. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, that was a very ominous and oh, sort of disturbing. I just read that as he was setting his hand on top of it. it, it but it's, his hand is very deep around it. And I'm wondering, I mean, look, I, I'm going to take, I, I'll take any reading that I can come up with as fairly accurate because that's how art works. You just react to it. I would say that if like if that iron post is kind of vaguely phallic, the way that his hand is rendered is kind of also vaguely sensual, especially since mm. we see him that he's bisexual later on, mm. or at least willing to explore bisexual avenues. Right. I think I didn't read these as phallic. I immediately thought of devil tales, you know, like how you get the forked devil. It's tail. very ominous. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see devil tales, but this like that's Michael, right? It's Michael and George. Is it John? John. Uh, to see Michael looking back young, like these are all very young children looking back and well, she's 16. I assume that John is like, is he six? Is six? Oh, she right, right, right. 16. She says she's 16. I would assume that John is like 17 or 18. He's older, but Michael is very young. Michael's right. like, he's like 10, 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 13. So maybe. yeah, but there's something about this panel is ominous that hand on the thing i was wondering do you think this is tinkerbell oh yeah maybe she's she looks very much like traditional drawings of tinkerbell Mm -hmm. that i've seen especially i I, my copy the copy of peter pan i read was very old it's from like the 50s i want to say 40s or 50s it was austin hummel's copy there he is again he's at all of the crossroads of my life um what is a spinny did you look that up? i didn't i think it's uh like a I think it's like the wild central part of a park. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it appears to be gated in. I, I usually look up the terms that I don't know in this book, and there are some fucking really wild terms, like uh, $25 words coming up. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, I didn't look up what a spinny was. Um, I had some... Uh, page three. Okay. I have a note. Do you have any more notes on page one or two? Um, 
Yeah. Um, so John, the eldest, uh-huh. is like, don't go over there. Don't go over to the spinny, whatever it is. Do you think is. he knows what I think he knows there? exactly what's going on in these first uh, panels to it. I think he, he knows exactly what's going on. Older bro- Does she say older brother John? Top panel because as I John, my eldest brother. Yep, my eldest brother. Interesting. I was wondering if he was younger than Wendy, but older than Michael as eldest brother. Because as I recall from the story, she plays the eldest. She's she's the eldest. That's why she mothers all the boys. So I think that John is older than Michael, but not okay. The oldest. So he might be like. 14. I think he's like 14, 12, especially because when, when Peter actually shows up at the house later, he's very, uh, he doesn't seem worldly in the way of Peter. He's taken mm-hmm. in really easily and he engages with Michael really easily. He's swept up in the whole thing mm-hmm. pretty easily. Yeah. So I think he's younger than Wendy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. Just... Um, you, you said you had a note though. Oh, that John wasn't really all that into it. That comes again later, and I have a theory about what? it. What? John wasn't all that into what? Y- you said he's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, I thought he knew what was going on and was like... Don't go over don't there. Don't go over there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't think that's the case, but he doesn't really show much interest in it. Like, Wendy and hmm. John walk away, but Michael is looking back. Later, to skip ahead, just because this is the moment that we're talking about, to go to your full page spread, mm-hmm. uh, chapter, chapter 8, page 7 panel the big panel it's the only panel (laughs) um we're gonna cover why these things are specifically happening in just a second but i think it's very telling that wendy and peter are in their own world Mm -hmm. but michael her brother is pulling up her skirt to look he's even though we've seen the events of the book unfold and she's told us that this is her dream that peter whisks them all up away into the sky Mm -hmm. as she's sleeping in her dream, her brother Michael is pulling up her skirt to look. And Michael has been the one who seems most fascinated. She talks earlier that right. both the boys are looking and, oh, that's so strange. I hadn't thought my brothers would look at me right. that way. But Michael's pulling up her skirt to look. But John and he Michael's also touching himself. Mm-hmm. John is not and John is looking away. And I was wondering if as they grew older, John and Wendy were shared that particular repression i think in this image we see john looking off away to not just something else but anything else Mm -hmm. i think john is ashamed i think john is old enough to realize that perhaps what they did wasn't right Mm -hmm. um i don't think that they we get that sense here and i don't think that it's like He's like, oh, God, I've sexually sinned against my Lord. (laughs) But I do think that on some intrinsic level, because he doesn't seem guilty. He seems happy, but he's looking away and he's not touching himself anymore. I'm thinking on some deep subconscious level, we're seeing an image of of a John who realizes that this isn't something that I should revisit. Right. Even if I don't feel necessarily guilty, I know enough to know not to maybe not to to you know explore this ground again mm-hmm. um okay let's go back to the beginning i just wanted to jump ahead to touch on the the john thing because he's also the one who doesn't want to go to the you know to the the quote-unquote the spinny let's talk about this particular drawing okay the chapter eight page three peter on the dresser peter on the dresser 
do you have any did this not hit you it's gorgeous it's yeah. all gorgeous it's melinda gevy it's fucking I know. stunning and but isn't that one of the scenes from the film as well he's um like perched on the dresser or something yeah in the book as well oh. in every incarnation he he comes through the window and lands on the dresser and he surveys the room for his shadow that's what he's doing they're all supposed to, in the original story he's they're all supposed to be asleep mm-hmm. but i really like this two panels before we're on cell on page three. He has no features. Mm-hmm. He's a shadow. Right. On the third panel, his features are barely drawn in. He's just an outline right. and he's melting into the dresser. Mm-hmm. He's become part of the shadows. Her recollection of him, her memory of him is. Yep. Flip the page. Page uh, page four. Shadow. Again, no features, just that slit eye, that little elfin. He has like an elfin appearance, mm-hmm. like that barely there eye. No features, no skin tone. He's just, he's a shadow. He's, every time we see him, he is a sexual shadow. And, no, go ahead. Well, I mean, he's he's highlighted here. He's highlighted. Yeah, he's in drawn in several panels, panels. But we, again and again, we do see, we see him two ways. We see that him... And then we see this like weird shadow. shadow him. Him. Yeah. So I think when we see her, her and her husband's shadows having sex, when we see this, the shadow of the steam in her bath showing lightning or throbbing, pulsing veins or a storm. Now we're seeing her retelling of this story and we're seeing a being who exists both as a real being who really did things, but also as a sort of weird Almost like not the Jungian shadow, which mm-hmm. represents something different, but you know what I'm saying—that subconscious sexual shadow. Mm-hmm. I think I think that there's nuance that's happening here, and I think it's really interesting that she often shares his skin tones. Whatever skin tone Peter mm-hmm. has, yeah. she takes that skin tone on. I think that in a lot of ways, that's showing. The her assimilating this event, but also internalizing the spirit of him. That that's kind of what the book is about. Is like the kids taking the lessons of Peter Pan and like stay young at heart, but you mm-hmm. gotta grow up and blah blah blah. Right. And in this one, the lessons of Peter Pan are like crushing sexual guilt, and you know, like he's really villainous in this version. He's not like a playful, impish puck. Okay, in this version, this is where I think that we should talk because oh, I oh god, I wonder if I'll get in trouble for this. We'll find out. The dialogue suggests that she doesn't. That the, the her dialogue suggests that she isn't sure if she didn't want all this stuff. When he climbs up the drain pipe, I'm sure you, you just read this, so you know what I'm talking about. When he climbs up the drain pipe, she says, I became very afraid and wished I could call back my gesture, but well, part of me didn't want that at all. Flip ahead. When he comes over to the bed, she basically says, I, I can find the exact stuff, but she mm-hmm. basically says, like, my heart is like my heart is racing. Um, and she feels the electric shock when she, he touches her. Shortly, Peter approached me asking if I'd like to play. I couldn't speak, which he took as a scent. And then she writes, doesn't write, Alan Moore writes. These are all fictional characters. But she says, perhaps it was. She says again and again mm-hmm. and again. 
like when he touched me, there was an electric shock. Right. They, it's not, what is it called? Uh, what's the word for it now? Enthusi- uh, affirmative, enthusiastic, continuous consent, where you have to con- be constantly right. saying that every, like every few moments that you consent. It's not that, but what do you, go ahead. Um, you have a thing in I your brain. just, I don't know. Um, Our first challenging chapter. I'm actually kind of excited. <laughs> I feel like maybe she's looking back at this as she's telling it and saying like doing damage control like maybe she's blaming herself for what happened even though it wasn't her fault you know how victims will blame themselves for what happened even though it's not their fault and victims can also be sexually aroused during their assaults okay so i don't know i feel like this isn't something that she wanted but also not something that she didn't want so i i would like to point out i did write down that i wrote down peter pan is a wicked mischievous evil character um this is not your fun playful pan what we haven't mentioned is basically the first thing peter does is he tells the two young boys that he's going it's it's all true to the peter pan he uh alan moore worked in no no it didn't happen in the books i was like what <laughs> yeah jam berry's peter pan they'll Damn, check they each cleaned other that up for disney <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> well, actually, the Disney animators probably snuck something in because oh, those cheeky true, bastards true, true. do that all the time. But um, Al- no, uh, in the same way that Alan Moore worked in the Oz and the Rainbow mm-hmm. in the Wendy story, and as we'll see next week, works in the Magic Mirror and the Rabbit and the Stopwatch mm-hmm. into Alice's story. He works in the Magic Fairy Dust and right. the Think Happy Thoughts. But it's yes. so fucking dark. He goes over to the boys. Think nice thoughts. Do you have it in front of you? Do you want to yeah. do you want to read it or do you want me to just kind of gloss um, it? Um It's the I think it's the second panel. Um I'll just gloss it. Oh, um, this sounds dreadful. He undid his trousers and showed us his his affair. Then he urged John and Michael to do the same. He said he was going to rub some invisible dust on them and that they should think nice thoughts about you know about girls so we have our magic fairy dust and our nice thoughts we have peter coming through the window oh yeah if you think happy thoughts you'll fly right yeah. exactly you will fly um, now it's what's really interesting is peter it's not interesting troubling and kind of difficult to unpack peter leaves the boys and they basically they keep going they keep mm-hmm. the the two What's the word for it that's not... It's super vulgar. The only thing I can think... They're jacking each other off. Yeah. And he comes over to the bed and gets into bed with Wendy. And this is... This is where this... The dissonance for me is the art does... The art does not belie the troubling nature of the subject matter at all. It's all so fucking gorgeous. Look at these... These are beautiful, Mm -hmm. beautiful renditions. There's no... You'd yeah, expect- like this panel, panel four. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or are we counting these as panels? No, th- those are captions at okay. the bottom. So um, we'll just take as read that the art and the text below it is one okay. panel. So in panel four, like even her knee is fucking beautiful. Like 
that's a beautiful knee. Three? No, this one. Here? Look at that line that outlines the curve of the outside of the bone of her knee. Yeah. It's even she she even has like pretty knees in panel three is the one that gets me. It's just the it's the it's the richness of the colors and the light they seem you know what it looks like it looks like an overheated stove it looks like a like a super hot piece of metal almost like they're mm, glowing sure they seem they're they're ethereal supernatural beings blue again like the sky yeah but now um i'm not up on my art theory but i remember um my a few art classes from late high school where purple uh purple blue and green when used in skin tones usually denote like sickness or ill health or depression or sadness and peter is green all the time like Mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe that is but i'm telling you it doesn't look i would say green and yellow okay sickness well it doesn't look like either alan moore or melinda gebby are presenting this as something that should be as shocking as it as we're as it is to us mm-hmm. like reading this you're like whoa what the fuck like the panel we just talked about uh, one two three the third panel on page five until if you just look at the two figures on the bed you're like beautiful gorgeous beautiful and then you get below the bed posts and you have you have her two brothers masturbating each other watching their sister have sex this is really like ultimate taboo extremely yeah. challenging strange fucked up like i'll be and i you know what fucked up i guess is a is a judgment but this is extremely taboo shit mm-hmm. this is really it it hits you in the face this is and it's not backing down at all and you know what it doesn't even end there nope next page um i do want to point out that this this is what i was talking about earlier it's it's like you don't know where to look because this to me um what page are we on i can't see that far uh page six six, panel two the two figures on the bed that's one of the sexiest figure drawings that we've seen in the book so far i find i just find that that position that that the the interplay of the legs the way that everything's shaped and plays out the use of color i think it's all beautiful but again you can't not look at the bottom of the panel too and then you're like what what the fuck am i supposed to be hmm, where are her arms dealing with here they were chopped off okay peter pan is a chainsaw wielding madman we talked about this he's evil um and then of course there is it's the penultimate panel of the page and it's probably the most troubling panel of the entire chapter which is page 6 panel 3 mm-hmm. in which I think we can take it as read that not only Peter, but also her brothers all come on her. No, they come on each other or themselves. You could The illustration, I think, suggests otherwise, but... It says um, splashing off the fronts of their shirts. So it was... I, well, yeah, the text seems to... Now, this is another interesting thing where the text and the pictures actually don't tell the same story. I'm wondering if this is her memories and this is what she's saying, because if you go here... It could also be simply perspective. Like, no, she literally says um, they... Uh, okay, right here. Um 
crap. There's a there's a panel where she says that the boy is her brother's. Are, here it is. Uh, my brother's hands were moving faster and faster beneath each other's nightgowns. So in her story that she's telling, they're uh, what does she call it? Their uh, uh, affair. Affair. Their affairs are hidden. Their right. their genitals are out of sight. But the art tells a different story. And she says splashing on the front of their shirts like they've come under their shirt. Oh, so I'm wondering if I she's. Like I when I read it, I read that she couldn't be completely honest with these two strangers and was embarrassed but we're seeing her her inner mind okay we're seeing what happened and what happened was a bit more extreme than the story that she's telling to her two new friends whom she's a bit embarrassed and uncomfortable around okay anyway at any rate that is a that panel is just like a nightmare where you don't know what to do anymore where you're just like should I stop reading this book should I go mm-hmm. give this book to a police officer <laughs> sure I was reading this dirty book I didn't know I didn't know like it's um, go ahead uh yeah and if we want to explore that a little bit how she is hiding things in the storytelling from herself from her acquaintances um i love how she hides things verbally you know like she says affair she right. won't say things explicitly she, does, she won't face when them. he touches her he does the same thing he's like he put his hand uh on me there's a big pause my privates yeah does she yeah. say privates something like that um, um bum, bum, bum. i have a note on that where i said this story shows the Oh, go ahead. On my private parts. Yeah. This um and nothing then nothing seemed quite real anymore. Flip to the kiss. Next page. Do you want to read it? Her super weird repressed kiss. Read the top. You must think me something. Uh, blah blah blah. I uh I can read it also. He leaned over to kiss me, and it wasn't an ordinary kiss the way you'd kiss your husband. It was his tongue. He put it in my mouth. You you must me think me a woman of no character. So because if you kiss with tongues, you're a woman no a character. Woman with no character. Now, I wanted that entire <laughs> thing. Slut. I'm glad you read it all because I had a note to read all of that because I think it shows the interesting dichotomy of we've seen her repression. Mm-hmm. The way that she represses herself sexually is extreme. She is absolutely laced to the neck, locked down. Like, and we will actually, you're not quite there yet, but when we get to these, the some of the chapters with her and her husband. They talk about it like, what? Have have sex with my old Mrs. Potter? Why, no, she would never do that. Oh, no, Reginald, he would, I would, could never touch. It's, they are utterly sexless. Kim called it. Buttoned to the teeth. Like, it's it's crazy how repressed they are. And I said, it's interesting, uh, the interesting dichotomy of repression and the roaring taboo excess that caused it Mm -hmm. it's like watching a pendulum out of control Mm, yeah she starts at neutral right and rather than like oh i had a little moment and now i'm a little guilty and oh i had a little bigger moment peter uh, peter pan comes flying cranks it to 11 yeah he's like hey your brothers are jacking off and we're all gonna come on you and it goes to like it fucking busts the scale and when it swings back to the repressed side it sticks because she's gone so far beyond what a first experience first, should be yeah it it just blew her mind 
in not in like it blew her mind in a great way. It like it literally broke her, broke and her it brain, flew back, and she's mm-hmm. like never again. I'm sure we'll see more stories coming up as the the book progresses. But this is a if this is a first taste of what's to come. Her story is an extremely troubling one. I do like the way she describes her orgasm, though. Which is, um, then everything in me seemed to burst, and there was such joy, such perfect joy. Would it be too much for me to ask if that is an accurate representation? I female orgasm um, is supposed sometimes. to be so. Oh God! <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> No, but it's it's supposed to be so wildly different from anything that men experience that I've always wondered if these poetic renditions of the female orgasm are even remotely accurate. Uh, I would not say that that is by and large my experience, but I don't feel that maybe I am the best example. Do we want to ask why or do we want to move on? Um, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because of the mechanical god stuff? Yeah. Um, God's gonna send so, me to hell. Really quick, I, I I kept this in my back pocket till we got to the mm. end of this issue. Well, uh, really quick at the very very end when Alice says, "Come away, dear ladies, come away." That is a line straight out of not dear ladies, but that's a line out of J.M. Barrie's Peter Pan. Well, come away, come, come away is, is the at title the beginning right. as well. That's it's, what Peter says to call the darling children out of. Oh, we said we we're going to talk about why they're called darling and not. They Durling. in the in this in Alan Moore's version they are referred uh, the they're actually the Durling family D U R L I N G, and they refer to their parents as Darling because or uh, they called them Mister and Mrs. Darling because that was a word that their parents were so fond of, and I think that's interesting because that is a subtle character thing too. That is mm-hmm. a characterizing moment, a subtle sort of characterization. Because who are the type of people who who are like, oh, that's darling. Oh, how darling. Oh, it's they are a particular type of family, a sort of quiet, straight, the type of person that she grows up to be. You get the sense that that's the family. Like, how was your day, dear? Oh, battleships, darling. Like that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, So I, I kept something in my back pocket and I wanted to run it by you because we as troubling as this issue as this chapter is I'm looking at the clock Because we're or The the timer on the thing Because we're about to roll over the time And I always mm-hmm. like watching it Oh no wait It goes to 2.06 before it rolls over I forgot we have six more minutes Before we oh, blow it whoa. up I'm going to cut a bunch out of the intro So we'll be fine But um This is not Unusual This subject matter Um For this book? No Okay For British writers Oh Not just any British writers either this is not the first time I've run into this exact topic. What? James Joyce? No. Oh. Neil Gaiman has covered this topic frequently. Incest? Yeah. There are there he um there's a, a, an unpublished They act Australian, but they're really not. Well they, <laughs> Well there's a there's a bunch of fakers. He originally started writing a screenplay. It's called it was supposed to be a triptych. It's called Eaton Scenes from a Moving Picture. It was going to be a pornographic horror film. Um, and you can find it online. He's never reproduced it anywhere because it's, you know, he's a children's author and probably doesn't want his porno script, but it's, he doesn't hide it. It's out there. I'm pretty sure I got a link from his journal. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a script out there and there's a scene in it in which a sister masturbates her brother into her hand and then eats it. That's in a piece of writing by Neil Gaiman. In Eaton? 
In Eden, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's unfinished, so I don't know what the plot is, but I'm assuming she grows some sort of alien baby in her stomach. Oh, gross. Or like a watermelon or something. I don't know. But anyway, so there's Can't that. be any worse than Eraser. There's child, there's uh, ch- uh, children molesting each other in Sandman. Uh, there, you, you know the whole boarding school thing, right? The British oh, boarding yeah. school. Infamous. Yeah, the infamous British boarding school where essentially new boys would be hazed in by being sodomized, uh, raped by their schoolmates. Upperclassmen. It's not enti- It's not like completely ubiquitous. It's not like every single <laughs> British man has been raped a hundred times. Right. But it's, but it's common it's... enough that it's a thing. So Neil Gaiman's written about it a couple times. This is not the first time Alan Moore's written about it this sort of subject matter and grant morrison has personal stories um he t- uh, talks about it on kevin smith's podcast and has written about this sort of stuff again so what i'm wondering is would you say that's just a brit thing i don't know but would you say all of these writers are th- those are three of the best writers i can think of off the top of my head if you asked me like the five greatest writers all three of those people would appear on my list neil gaiman alan moore grant morrison why does this subject what is it with this subject matter i've never the reason that i'm at such a loss extremely taboo it is do you think do you think it's just like um taboo i was wondering why specifically in this story does it appear and i wonder if it's because peter is trying to get everybody drinking the kool-aid basically everybody on the same guilt trippy thing also maybe trying to keep them preoccupied while he goes and bangs their sister but so doesn't, they don't even her, they don't even get preoccupied. They come over and basically right, in a but weird they're not way, like touching her or anything and getting no, up that's in his true. biz. But there is that uh, there's that there's that disturbing bit where she talks about when Peter undresses her and her brothers are watching, like mm-hmm. panting from the shadows, like ooh, look right. at her, she's so hot. She ceases to be their sister for a moment and becomes a sexy a, older girl. Yeah, like a naked sixteen year old girl, and they're like, what the fuck is this? And I think I think you might have struck on it a little bit. It might be not that Peter's trying to get them on all on the guilt trip because I'm trying to think from Alan Moore's perspective, which is impossible because he's God essentially <laughs> with his big crazy beard and his genius ideas. But do you? Th- I'm wondering if maybe it's to show the weird the weird way that it's easy to get swept up into a gray area of like passion and guilt where you can get swept into something and then at the end of it be irreparably scarred Mm, mm -hmm. because this is being horny makes you do things you wouldn't otherwise do maybe but like there there's a weird thing here where there are lots of strange instances in the the golden ephemera of our childhoods that when you look back on them you're like i was just talking to a friend who will shall remain nameless who was telling me about something that happened when they were much 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 younger uh yesterday and it was like i'm not even sure if it really happened or not Mm. so Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, you know, like, <clears throat> is that Alan Moore is not necessarily he's not presenting it in a lascivious way. This is not like, again, the artwork is beautiful. The writing is kind of horrifying in a weird way. I think he's just presenting it and letting us struggle with it. Yeah, because that's what we're yeah. fucking doing is we're really it, we can't get a grip on this. And I think that's part of the problem is like the art. 
the art draws you in. Oh, it is beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. she is kind of hot when she's getting undressed. But then you're like, oh, but her brothers are doing. And there's guilt, and you're you like the art, but you're don't like what the why the brothers attraction and repulsion exactly. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, there's this thick beautiful scene with like this is kind of. I mean, the thing with the Michael, it, you're kind of uncomfortable, but the art again is so beautiful. So beautiful, yeah. So at the end of it, you're you feel weirdly soiled by what you've mm, seen mm-hmm. but like you too have been drawn in and you've been made to take part yeah in a yeah, weird you're like way an like when you were watching you're mm-hmm. watching like the brothers are. yeah you know it's it's a really I, I for the first time in this book like i feel like i've got a pretty good handle on all the chapters i'm not catching everything but i'm like oh i get enough that i feel like ah cool this was a pretty good one but yeah this this one was this one was very difficult. Um, and you read ahead, so you know the next one is no easier. Yeah, and in no. fact, might actually be even... Yeah, I think this one is worse than the next one. But. So I actually have a, a closing question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Just something not really related to anything. Um, Wendy mentions that she's been in a santorium and... That her family put her there? Right, there's talk about... Not Wendy, Alice. Alice, sorry. Um, and she mentions that there is a professor of the mind currently practicing not far from her. Freud. I was, yep. Yeah. Dreams of flying. (laughs) Yeah. Practicing in Vienna. I loved that too. And as soon as I read it, I have, uh, his, I have a, a second edition, a really early edition of Freud's, uh, the interpretation of dreams on my shelf. And uh, I've never read it, but boy, does it make me proud to have it there because I'm like, look how smart I am. Um, <laughs> all right. I got nothing else. I'm uh, I asked this to Carl when we wa- actually I asked this to you, too, when we were watching the Espen on your grave movies. But mm-hmm. it it's worth reading. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's not this ch- the chapter we just talked about this whole book so far. But that chapter we just talked about. Not easy. You definitely wrestle with some stuff and it's a struggle to to get your head around it. But, but it's, it's a worthwhile pursuit. Absolutely. There's and there's a lot to get out of it. There really, really is. So I hope we haven't scared you all away. Um, it's the next chapter's hard too, but not as taboo. It's it's hard in a different way, but mm-hmm. it does not have the like extreme taboos that we just tackled. Um, but yeah, this I love. I kind of like that he he threw us a dark pitch. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a curveball. It's been so bright mm-hmm. and so Rococo and so Art Nouveau and so Baroque and so I'm just throwing art terms out. I don't know what's true, but it's been, you know what I mean though? It's been so like fun and bright and frivolous and there's been like fun shadow plays. Right. All of a sudden he's like, I am a storyteller though, so I'm going to have to make you wrestle with some shit. Boom incest and like a bunch of underage kids and possible rape. Maybe it's like Hummel says to quote the man again. You got to be able to make an audience laugh to make them cry. He says the only time you should make an audience laugh is in order to make them cry, which what a fucking, he's such a hard ass, <laughs> but he's not though. He's like the gentlest guy ever. But the only reason to make someone laugh in a poem is so that you can make them cry. And you're like, whoa. Okay. Hummel. I got nothing else for mm-hmm. this. Um, uh, uh, shout out Patreons. Pa- All right. The patrons, not Patreons. A patron supported podcast. A listener supported podcast. Yep. Listener supported podcast. Um, if you like what we do and you think that we deserve a couple of bucks, um, 
you can head on over to patreon.com slash Max Peterson. Yeah, there's all sorts of different rewards for different levels of support. You can check it out over on the website. We just posted our uh, our first bonus episode for free so that all everyone can go and check out what it's like over there on listening to Chatman and Robin on Patreon. It's, it's a lot like this. It is. <laughs> um, just, uh, yeah, different different venue. You even get the same artwork. I figured out how to upload our artwork over there. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so uh, you can go and do that. We're going to have our It Came From The Short Box series is going to be migrating over there temporarily while we work through this heady material. We're covering some X-Force comics um, in our first series. Oh, it's going to be fun. And then we're doing this big, long run of a cool Vertigo comic called House of Mystery, which, uh, well, actually, yeah, it's... It's pretty cool. The art's awesome and the writing's pretty sharp. I kind of peeked through the first issue a little bit. Oh. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Um, so anyway, we actually have some patrons that we need to shout out who made this and all our episodes possible, starting with uh, Casey Scheibe, um, who gave me shit for pronouncing her name wrong. So it is pronounced Scheibe. Casey Scheibe. Casey Scheibe, man. She's the fucking bomb. She's the, she's the, I was trying, I was trying to say like the something with the mostest, but then I was like the tutu with the frou-frou. I don't know any rhymes, but she's Mm. such a badass person. And every time she hits me up and talks to me or texts me or it just makes my day, like hearing that ding and it's Casey. I'm just like, oh. Oh, hi, friend. How are you doing? It's, Sorry, I'm lost trying to find a, a rhyme for tutu. I don't think there is one. Um, then there is also John Shibe. Every time you set stuff down on the table, it goes boom in my ears. Okay. <laughs> so Sorry. John Shibe, um, not quite as tutu loving as Casey is. <laughs> not that he doesn't try. <laughs> he just, He's so dapper as hell. He can't pull it off like she can. He doesn't have the, the pizzazz, doesn't have the, the what's Hips? the word? <laughs> Doesn't have the hips for sure. He's a beanpole, a man. No, he doesn't have. He doesn't have that certain uh, that Frank Sinatra swagger that you really need to rock that a tutu. Je ne sais quoi. That je ne sais quoi. Exactly. Wow, look at you and your French. Way to go. So yeah, uh, so the uh, the the uh, two patrons Shyby who are kicking ass and keeping patrons us <laughs> keeping us afloat and uh, and uh, yeah. hopefully are by the time this episode airs are following along with their copy of Lost Girls. Um, Bert, who else do we have? Um, Connor Sweeney. Connor Sweeney. Sweeney. That um, I actually did some research because I I have been we've been pronouncing his name Sweeney Connor no 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 we've been pronouncing his name wrong um it actually comes from the old Gaelic Sweeney and that's how you have to pronounce don't do that again I'm not gonna mispronounce his name because you just don't say his name again because your ears are offended no let's shout the man's name from the rooftops Connor Sweeney anyway um, yeah, his, uh, I did, you know, ancestry.com, you just type in a name and the moment you type in Connor Sweeney, it just shows you all of the royalty of England, which is really oh. weird. Oh, so he's inbred? Yeah. Sickle, he's got, <laughs> he's got, uh, uh, hemophilia really bad. Um, his lips are all um, fucked up and his teeth oh, are, British teeth. Yeah, his teeth are just a janky mess in his face, but, uh, but he is the heir to 10 different thrones. And he has a good heart. He doesn't. Well, he doesn't, because the hemophilia means that his blood's all fucked up. Figuratively, he has a good heart. But not literally. He doesn't, though, because his ancestors had hundreds beheaded, and I'm sure some of that dark evil lurks within his hemophiliac breast, hides behind his fucked up British teeth. 
anyway we do appreciate the lumber pile for now (laughs) a lumber pile that he calls calls teeth (laughs) we do appreciate connor sweeney's royal blood money keeping us in uh royal blood keeping Mm. (laughs) keeping us in editing programs Mm. and microphones so thank you mr connor sweeney um and i think we have one last one don't we we do Monsieur Carl Hartley, the man himself, the lover of women, but only one woman, don't worry, Daniel. It's not like, it's not like he does that anymore. He's a reformed man. He hates when I shout him out on any show because he does measuring flicks with me and it embarrasses him, but that's why I'm doing such a long one for him now. Oh boy. He's so he breaks. He is a breaker of hearts, but mostly mine because he is stuck with that one girl, Daniel. It's terrible. Okay, we're done. Okay. So that has been it for this week on Jedman and Robin. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bird. Holy podcast, Jamian. You make it amazing.